Yeah, normally the best deals that you get, there's a reason why they're good deals. It's a great point, and it brings up something that I'm finding more and more frequent, which I personally find very alarming. Sponsors are, are raising an excess and promising distributions right away. And with that promise of distributions, if they don't have assets to pay those distributions, what that means is they're raising more capital than they need. So that I think that is the biggest hesitation and concern for investors is placing capital and it not getting invested somewhere. Welcome back, everybody, to the Self-Storage Income Podcast. We're so excited to dive into today's episode. This podcast is being brought to you guys by Live Oak Bank, Tenant Inc., and Janus International. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. And today, we have an important podcast, a very informative podcast. It is a question that we get asked all the time. There's a lot of misunderstandings about it from both the operator side and the on the private equity side like what should i do should i start a fund should i do a syndication what are the pros and cons and differences but then also the investor side so what does it mean for an investor the difference what are the pros and cons and if you're setting up a fund and if you're taking investors money you need to be aware of the differences both on your side when creating it but also from the investor standpoint and why you're doing it a certain way so you can communicate that so today i got kaylee back with us how's it going really good thanks for having me back excited and kaylee as you guys uh probably remember from I didn't even look at the number podcast, but you can go back and search the number podcast, but she's our head of investor relations. She's been with me since the start of building the private equity side. And we have seen a lot. We've changed a lot. We've made mistakes. We've done things that are good. And so today we want to just have, we're going to have an open conversation and it's important to know a few things getting started. First of all, we are not attorneys. We are not tax professionals. We are talking about this in a frame of our understanding, what we see, and what we've identified both on the operator side, but also the feedback from our investors. And that's really where we're going with this and what we want to talk about today. Anything that is covered, though, it must be covered with your attorney, particularly an SEC specialist and your accountants or tax or anybody else. So don't please don't say, oh, I heard this. And so I did. <laughs> that's absolutely what we want to avoid. Um, uh, but with that, there's, you know, diving straight into it, Kaylee, we, we've been working on This is our second fund that we're rolling out, right? That's correct. Prior to that, it was all syndications. That's correct. Or portfolios. Or portfolios. So this has been a change up for our firm and the way that we have done things from the past and there's there's definite pros and cons wouldn't you say absolutely yeah the investors really seem to like the fund model um, and i think we could probably cover in this podcast what we're hearing from investors and when they pull the trigger to place capital so it's in this is something that i think everybody is looking for wanting to know and wanting to understand even us as we are trying to look at data trying to understand and analyze because there's certain you know investors uh come in all shapes and sizes and their concerns are very different and so one of the things that i think a lot of people make a mistake on is that their investor base is the same and so they treat it like it's this is a good product for everyone no matter what 
That is not true. Just because you think you have a great investment doesn't mean that's the right investment for all of investors. And you need to remove yourself from that emotional side and be, I think, more tactical at looking at feedback and understanding. Now, that also has a problem with it, though. If you communicate it poorly, you may be actually having investors leave that that was the right product for, but how you communicated that was wrong. So this is a uh, delicate thing when you're talking with investors to make sure it's the right fit for them, make sure you're presenting it in the correct and right way to address their concerns, to address the upside. Um, and so you're getting the right people in the right product. That's the only goal that you're trying to achieve. Absolutely, couldn't have said it better. Communication is key, understanding how to communicate the the offering itself and properly so that they understand, uh, for instance, this fund, um, it's a blind pool offering, right? So a lot of investors are, are um, not hesitant, but they're slower to put their capital in, in a fund that doesn't have assets identified. And understanding how to explain to them the benefits of placing capital and the reason why we have a fund model to play to have the cash buying power um, is crucial, right? So if we don't communicate that, they're they're pretty much asking us, well, why would I place my why my money there? The money? Yeah. So we, why don't we go hit on that just real quick here? What is a when you say a blind pool? What does that mean? That means the investor is betting on the jockey. That means that they know, like, and trust the sponsor. They know that they're going to be good stewards of their money and they're going to find them good assets. But what that means is that the assets aren't yet identified. And so we outline the criteria of the assets that we're going towards and uh, pretty much saying, you know, we, we're not quite sure what it looks like, but we have a lot of opportunities to look at deals and we want to be able to pull the trigger, potentially negotiate better with the seller and take advantage of maybe off-market opportunities or discounted rates. And that's probably the biggest thing that you just brought up in a difference between maybe a syndication and a fund model. Generally speaking, the fund model is much more centered around the jockey, as you said, the operator, the person putting it together, whereas syndication is generally around the horse. It's around the asset. What is it doing? Right. And I can see and understand it because if you have a blind pool, like you said, you can't show the investors the asset that they are going to be investing in. And so that creates this other layer for them. Now, generally speaking, I think uh, it's it's true to say that makes that a little harder to fund. Now, with that said, though, that does not mean that it's worse. In fact, it actually from uh, an investor standpoint, uh, tends to be better. And so we'll, we'll talk about that why, but let's start out with the operator. So when I'm looking at starting up a fund or doing a syndication, what are the two things on like our side as an operator that I'm gonna be looking at to make a decision on what are the pros and cons of doing each. Remember a fund is you're getting people's money, you're taking that money and investing, right? And uh, you're identifying as we're phrasing it here in this conversation. Now, the other view of syndication is, okay, we've got an asset, we're gonna get investors and we're gonna buy this asset and we're communicating that directly. It's you know a single asset or a portfolio, but you're syndicating it for that singular purpose. So what are, as an operator for us, what are the pros and cons of doing a syndication versus that fund model? 
Well, oh man, I mean, where do I even begin? The the pro of a fund model is that we have the ability to collect capital prior to identifying the asset. So we're able to move quick and we have the cash to buy it. Historically speaking, we've been blessed with the opportunity that uh, you guys have been able to cover uh, fast moving assets with your own personal capital, which speaks volumes really but it's not a sustainable model. And so with a really high functioning acquisition team like we have, it's really important that we have that capital at hand to use it as a negotiating tool when we are looking at purchasing a property. So that is the biggest pro to a fund. And when I'm talking to investors, I'm I'm really driving that home, especially if they're hesitant to place the capital prior to the asset identification, is that if we don't have your capital, we won't be able to get these deals. The best deals. The normally. best deals. Yeah, normally the best deals that you get, there's a good reason point. why they're good deals. And so you either need to move fast, they're off market, or the seller's in a crunch or something else. And it's not like they generally have months and months and months for you to go out and raise capital uh, because either somebody will come and scoop it up or they're in that position because they don't have it. Right. Yeah. There is definitely an opportunity for maybe a different sponsor to have lag time of placing that capital. So that I think that is the biggest hesitation and concern for investors is placing capital and it not getting invested somewhere. And then in turn, depending on the sponsor, them panicking and having to place capital in a not so desirable asset. So we're, we're in a position where we're so lucky that the acquisitions are coming in and they're great deals and we're not forced out of panic to place capital. We have opportunities. We have really good opportunities. So this is a really good point that you bring up because on one side it's a strength, but on the other side it may be a weakness and we can talk about how to avoid this. But one side, the strength is you have that capital so you can buy those great deals, right? Like for us in our fund now, it's an opportunistic play. That's why we're doing the fund because we're buying up people that need to sell the markets are in disarray it gives us a huge advantage because we have the capital we can disperse it and we can do things that other people can't now the downside to that exact same pro though like you just said and make sure i'm getting this correct is we also seen sponsors that get the money they can't find assets and so then they feel pressured to use the money instead of sitting it and then they start just buying things because they need the fees they need to place the money whatever it may be now for uh for us on our side a couple ways that we avoid this problem is first of all we make sure that we don't have a dependency on the need to place capital and this is one of our core tendons that we do not have the dependency on fees or anything else like that to place capital. So we can kind of avoid that. Um, and also we will distribute back the capital. So unused capital, we'll just give it back. Um, uh, and uh, we do this and know this because we have very clear structure on what we will buy and what we won't. So it's not like we're just blindly going out and trying to find it. It's, it's very, very tactical. And if it doesn't fit within this box, we can't and won't buy it and we have a board that has to approve these acquisitions to verify that target so that's how we get around that and try to make sure that we never get in that problem but you're right if you're a operator fund manager and you have that money and you can't find deals all of a sudden that may put you in a bad pressured situation as an operator what do i do is are people going to be mad at me and you may make decisions that are not good so interesting that one side's a strength, but that strength can also be very flipped and used as a weakness if not properly 
uh, set up for it. It's a great point, and it brings up something that I'm finding more and more frequent, which I personally find very alarming, is that sponsors are, are raising an excess and promising distributions right away. And with that promise of distributions, if they don't have assets to pay those distributions, what that means is they're raising more capital than they need in turn diluting that investor and then in turn kind of creating this high risk portfolio of non-cash flowing nothing at that point really but the those investors get diluted but they're they're it what's so confusing to me is that they're happy that they're getting yes. distributions because they're yeah they're getting yeah. distributions from the capital they raise right so that's why they're they're over raising and they're taking that capital and giving it to people Exactly. So it's almost like these people are looking for a savings account that's going to pay them and, and trickle money streams. So that's the biggest difference between other sponsors and, and say us. One, we're not pressured to buy assets to pay distributions. Um, we don't promise investors distributions in the first six months maybe even a year, you never know. It depends on the asset type, right? But we won't also dilute our investors. We'd rather have a bigger share per person and distribute once we're cash flowing and conservatively than over raise, trickle the money and and build a false sense of, of you know, um, what's the word? Uh, yeah, happiness, or, desire, yeah, um, yeah. satisfaction. Yeah, exactly. That's the word. Satisfac investor yeah, satisfaction. Yeah, you're putting the investor satisfaction above the fundamentals and actual returns. Exactly, and so as an investor, I'd be very concerned if they're promising uh, distributions. So I'm even seeing development projects promising distributions. Yes. Yep, we're and seeing so that. I, I asked those investors, I said, how are they paying distributions on a non-cash flowing piece of land? That that seems very risky to me. And and I just leave it at that. And I, I just give them, an, you know, it's something to think about, right? So that would be also another pro and a con, depending on the sponsor, to determine whether a fund model is right for you or even a, even an acquisition for, for that matter. Yeah. But um, another pro or con, depending on what kind of investor you are, if you're an investor that likes details and they want to know about operations, a fund model is probably not going to be your cup of tea because it's going to be talking about uh, portfolio and fund performance versus individual assets. Now, syndication-based, yeah, we can provide more detailed specifics on performance, but we're finding, even though upfront we have set the expectation that communications aren't going to be uh, granular on a fund, we're finding we're we're going to have to give granular updates to help build that that trust of where we're doing everything that we promised and, and more. So um, as an investor for other co-sponsors or sponsors, if if you're looking for granular information, a fund model is likely not going to be for you because I don't think that everyone's as accommodating as we are. Yes. So something True. to consider something to consider so now as an operator these two different sides that we have what is the benefits as an operator for the or first of all back to the fund what are some more benefits as me as an operator for a fund and i think of more of a centralized communication so operationally speaking for you to work within your uh everything from legal docs to acquisitions, to communications with investors, to filings, fees, um, a fund model is more advantageous, operationally speaking, for us. Yeah, definitely. Well, a fund model, too, with having cash up front and at hand, 
So we talked about the seller benefits, but it also has banking institutional benefits as well. So you can go to the your bank and say, listen, we have the cash ready to go to lay the down payment down. If you need to, you can put down more. Yeah. We, I don't think we'd exactly. like to do that. However, we, we can terms. if if we yes. need to. Yeah, yeah. negotiating power. way better. When you have the money, you're ready to go. Banks will work with you. They'll give you better terms. We get lots of uh, better options with that. So it can help us to execute tremendously. Not it can, it does. Helps uh, the operator to execute. Now, on the inverse now, you say, okay, well, then why is an operator would I want to do syndications, right? And maybe not a fund. And when we started out, all we did was syndications. And so what are the pros for an operator or somebody starting in talking to their investors about the syndication? The pros are having that detailed, granular, specific performance projections that we can put in front of the investor. We can put pictures. There's almost an emotional draw behind that investor and that identified asset. And they almost fall in love with the project versus falling in love with the sponsor. We're hoping they're doing both, but really what when it comes down to the bottom line, they want to know about the asset. And a lot of our investors are people that are interested in self-storage. We, we kind of have a unique dynamic where we have a lot of people coming off of this podcast where either they're looking for their first deal or they're already in the industry, but they're like, hey, I'm going to place some capital, want to diversify my investments and operations. And so they also kind of want to see the play-by-play -play of how we handle deals. And so it's a unique perspective that we get to see on, on our hands. So one-off deals, portfolios where we can provide detailed information, that's gonna be the big, biggest benefit for somebody seeking that kind of information. 100%, it's, it's a very unique situation when talking with your investors, when working with um, your third parties, when you already have the asset and it's sitting there, we can look at it, we understand it. I think that the projections from investors are more, investors are way more confident about that because it's predicated on something that can be measured. And that's a real plus, especially when you're starting out. So because the weight of that fund is on the sponsor, meaning the trust and everything when you're doing a fund, when you start out, if you haven't done it before, that can be very hard to convince people and get people to give you money for you to go do, as opposed to saying, I have a deal, look how good this deal is. Will you give me the money to go do that deal? And so starting out versus not, syndications are a great way to get moving, gain confidence. And two, if you have a fund and you don't have experience, lots of times you're not gonna get good terms with the investors. They're gonna be worried, they're gonna be nervous, and so you don't get to ask for as much, you don't get control, you don't get lots of things. Whereas if it's a syndication, they can see it, their comfort level helps you get better terms and everything for you to operate. And for us, we were so focused on the individual deal starting out that not being in private equity, only being in storage and having a storage facility company, we always just looked at the asset. That's the only thing we ever cared about. And for us starting out, that's why we did syndications because we were hyper-focused on, on that. Um, and frankly, I did a very bad job at communicating and I'm still trying to get better at communicating with investors because one of my down uh, struggles was I cared so much about the asset. I knew so much what we were doing. It was like everything else is sidelined to that. Whereas it's like, 
if we can pick the best assets, have the greatest assets, the investors will always be happy. And then I focused on the asset, the internal stuff, not the investor facing stuff, right? And so that's an interesting dynamic that you have to look at and work with on that communication from that in investor. But syndication makes those things a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, and it's important to remember the, the passion that you have for it. Our investors have that same passion. And so that was a really eye-opener to us that they actually really do want to know more than yes. what we thought they initially wanted. We thought they were just going to be investors. They yeah. don't They want, don't want to know about self-storage. And it was kind of shocking that, yes. and awesome at the same time that, yeah, they want to know. They want to know. They want to be a part of it. They do want to be a part of it. And Which that's, is great. That's actually is. what we want. Yeah. So because you learn very quick with investors that if they want to be a part of it, they'll also be way more understanding. Um, you know, the big thing that I tell investors every time when I'm talking to them, I'm like, you have to understand this is not an ATM machine. And if a sponsor is acting like it is, you should be very concerned yeah. because this is not an ATM machine. This is a business. And as an investor, you are a business owner. You own the asset. Returns, everything is predicated on operations, performance of the asset. And if you treat that thing like an ATM, right, or the sponsor is forced to treat it like an ATM, you will greatly hurt the performance and long-term performance of the asset. Yeah, and you create a, a riskier investment for everyone. So I'll give you an example, preferred return, the way we have it structured is the preferred return is a good faith gesture on our part, right? It's 8%. If business is good and we reach that 8%, great. But it's also incentivized. But I see other sponsors out there guaranteeing a 8% return yes. regardless on business performance. And so when an investor comes to me and says, well, I didn't reach my $8,000 return on my 100K investment, I have to remind them that we're not promising a full 8% every time. However, if business is good, you're going to receive that. And also, please do know, too, that if we're not exceeding that 8%, we're also not getting paid. So it's an incentivized structure for performance on our behalf. And so once again, I'll go back to, we structure it as a good faith gesture that we have investors put first and we're not promising because we're, that would put us in debt, yes. right? So we're paying in, we're paying dividends on something that's not bringing in that cash flow. So now we're just digging ourselves into or, a deeper hole. Or what happens lots of times is if you guarantee the liability that the asset has to provide, I can't work on the asset. So meaning that uh, as an operator, I need to be able to make choices like improvements. I need to be able to make choices about hiring, marketing, things that will affect the performance of the asset, but then also affects returns. So what you find then is it causes very short-term thinking. I'm not going to invest in the asset, right? It's that idea of an ATM machine. I guarantee you this liability and I'm going to pay it no matter what, whether I have to borrow, whether I have to not fix up the facility. And in the short term, the investor may like that. But in the long term, it's devastating to their actual returns. They can't sell it for as much as they wanted. Their revenue isn't going up. And as a business owner and operator, you don't ever want to be strapped by outside liabilities that you're harming the goose, right? It's like, we, we don't want to kill the golden, uh, the golden goose. And especially too, this comes down to your individual strategy and how you, we are value add. So that means for us, right, we're heavy, heavy up front on improvements that need to happen. And that needs to be communicated with your investors. You need to talk with them through the strategy, right? And what you're trying to accomplish. Some strategies may lend better for an operator, a syndication versus a fund too. And so when you look at that, 
you need to be thinking about that that overall syndication or that fund. What is the best best for my strategy? Meaning the best for my investment strategy, the best for the assets I'm going to buy. You do not want to stick an investor structure, whether that's through a syndication or a fund, over a strategy that is not aligned with that structure. That is going to be painful for everyone involved. And a lot of people I find either do a fund or a syndication and they copy structures because they're not, what they're doing is now they're competing with other people. I'm competing with other fund people or I think I have to do it that way. And then they overlay that on theirs and it's not a good matchup. And that is a sign of lack of understanding. And uh, you don't wanna fall into that trap because then you may think, oh, I'm supposed to do a fund. Right. And it's supposed to look this way. And your strategy may be totally different from the people you're comparing yourself to. One of the best ways to increase value of your storage facility is to integrate tech to improve operations, right? So Janus International actually has their no key technology. It's a keyless access entry system, which is an incredible amount of value for so many people and that user expectation that people have in today's marketplace. Again, Janus International, their no key system. Be sure to check that out. Link is in the show notes. If you guys are looking to purchase your first storage facility, you just might be looking at the SBA loan approach and one of the best and most efficient places to get your SBA from is going to be Live Oak Bank. These guys are incredible at valuing self-storage. They know how to underwrite it and they are a phenomenal solution for you and your financing needs in all things self-storage. Again, Live Oak Bank. When you guys are looking at property management software for your storage facilities, there's a ton of options out there, but no other option compares to Tenant Inc. Tenant Inc. is going to be your one-stop shop solution that has an amazing amount of tools that you can deploy at your fingertips to maximize the value of your facility, to operate it more efficiently, more effectively. They have an open API where you can back in almost anything you want. You own your data, and it's just an incredible solution. I can't say enough good things about these guys. Link is in the show notes. Be sure to check out Tenant Inc. Definitely. And so let's talk about the progression of... This is typically the steps is as a sponsor, you don't want to jump right into a fund model, right? You want to build your performance so that when you do launch a fund, you can say and speak on behalf of your previous experience so that they do have that trust in gathering a portfolio in a fund. Um, Another thing that I was thinking of, too, is when it comes down to summarizing a fund versus a syndication, a syndication is a reactive investment. It's a reactive investment based upon an asset identified. Now, a fund model is proactive where we are going to capitalize, pun intended, on opportunities that... um, are, are presented to us. And instead of being reactive, knee-jerk reaction, we have time to really negotiate both with the seller and the financer. But uh, the proactive and reactive is really kind of how you can summarize both different types. I love that. I think that's perfect way to look at it. And as an operator, that's how you should be thinking about it. That's how we think about it. And that's probably the primary reason. There's a whole bunch of reasons we moved to the fund model, but that was one of the primary reasons. Because like, yeah. for us, deal flow is not the problem. No. It is not the problem at all. In fact, it's it's the opposite of the problem. We have a very robust firm that's been around for like 20 years now, and we have the relationships in the industry. We have everything else. So that's not a problem. So 
what was happening to us is we were just kept syndicating on top of syndicating on top of syndicating because we had so many deals and that caused problems for us. Yeah. Whereas the fund model, we said, we can now be proactive about this where we can get the capital and then we have our deals. We can proactively go out, find them, get the best ones. So I, I love that analogy you just made. That's great. Thank now you. let's talk about the investors. Yes. Let's talk about as an investor, what should they, what do they need to know? And as, as an operator, a self-storage person, you need to be thinking about the investor, right? So you need to be thinking about why they would like a syndication, why they would like a fund. And if you're trying to explain to them, why are we doing a fund versus a syndication? What are the benefits to them? Not to you as an operator, not the efficiencies, not the lending, not like what is, and I guess that is to an investor too, but what are the benefits for them? It is first and foremost, geographical diversification, portfolio diversification. A lot of the times we were seeing that with the acquisitions coming in all at the same time, there was cannibalism, where an investor only had so much capital to place and they were torn between which deal to place the capital in. And so being able to provide uh, two benefits, one, they have that capital, but they want to invest in all the deals, they can do that in a fund model. So that is the first and foremost desired structure of a fund model for our investors. Uh, the performance diversification. So for yes. instance, fund two, we have an asset that's gonna be a heavy value add, but what's so awesome about that is we know there's a ton of value in that acquisition, but we're gonna place other high performing assets to offset maybe a slower cash flow or a no cash flow because we're injecting capital into uh, improvements on the property or expansions. So that is also a benefit that you know you can grow your, your capital through a, a development-ish type value add project, but you also know that you are offsetting that slow performance with other actively performing deals. So you've got that performance diversification. Um, oh man, you know, we covered communication differences. So some investors want all the details, some of them don't want all the details. So a lot of the investors that don't want the granular information, they love fund models because they, they don't, they trust us enough, right? And it's maybe not necessarily a trust issue. That's maybe a poor way to put it, but um, they're not interested in seeing the performance. They just want to know what's my capital doing at the end of the day, right? So, And they want that diversification, like you mentioned. It lowers risks. It evens out the performance. It gives you saying, well, because you get this all the time. I get this all the time. Why do you like this market versus this market? And it's like, well, there are certain deals within each markets that make it better. So we have some markets that we're in let's say the Midwest, that we love the deal, that deal in the Midwest, but we may not like that deal in another market. So it's two layers for us. It's the market and the deal in the market that makes us why we, why we like that uh, given opportunity. And so when you look at from an investor standpoint, they go, okay, well, you know, you say you like this area and like this area, but I wanna know which one's best. They're best for different reasons. Now you're getting, the, you're getting both of them now. So like our one, we have Midwest, but then we have, you know, Denver in fund one. So you're, you're going fast second, maybe first tier markets to second tier markets in totally different geographic areas with different strategies. And so that for, for an investor, that's a really good position to be in when you're a long-term investor, when especially maybe you say, 
I don't quite understand it as much. Whereas a syndication, you go, wow, I can really dive into the details and I'm willing to bet that this is the winner that I think it is, right? Uh, the fund gets rid of a lot of that stuff, especially in uncertainty. Yes, definitely less volatile. Yes. So the, the investors definitely like that kind of coast, invest in coast. So yep. cruise control, really. Yeah, it's really, it, it, it's a very good, it's like, you know, diversification in stocks. You're getting a basket of assets within an industry, though, that you like, with an operator that you like, and you know that the you got to hedge against uh, downside, but at the same time, you have more upside that you can capture because you may have a few of those assets that perform loops and bounds. Like I, I always say for us, every deal that we look at, we go, this is going to be a, a good or a great deal, meaning that it has to perform at a level baseline that most people would consider that's awesome. Now, on top of that, though, when you think of the unicorns, the one that are, were blown away by their performance, right? We don't tend to know which one that's going to be. We can guess and we'll probably get pretty close, um, but our standards are already so high that the ones that go up and above that, you know, we can think all day that we want, but there's lots of things at work. And you want to be able to have some exposure to the ones that all of a sudden they were the right time or the right neighborhood or something happened within it that gave a boost additional to those great returns that you want. So you want to have a mechanism to capture it. And the fund does that. Yeah, absolutely. It gives that sponsor a little bit of leverage to test different markets. Yes. Yeah, that's great. So I have a question for you. Um, number one question from investors is they want to know what that bonus year one depreciation is and what the cost seg study is. And we have tried so hard in so many different ways to give them this answer because it's such an important decision making factor for each investor. Now, maybe we cover first why why we can't provide right away the cost seg study and why we choose not to put our estimates out and then maybe go into why a fund model provides maybe a less volatile also tax situation for our investors. Yeah, tax, like as Kaylee just mentioned, as you know, that's the hardest thing to answer. And the reason being is the output of the action is dependent on the person receiving the output not just the action. So when we look at returns, everything else, it's like, okay, well, if it makes X, we're gonna distribute X and it's all even. Well, that is not how taxes work, right? If we have 50 investors, the impact of the tax situation will be different on every single one. Yeah, based upon their individual- Based upon their individual exactly. circumstances. Yes, yes. So we're like, I don't really wanna say something here and somebody is gonna go, that's not how it worked. But generally speaking, we can look and say, all right, we think we may be able to depreciate X amount um, that we can get. We don't wanna guess on your end, but here's on our end how it'll work with, you need to talk to your accountants. But one of the other problems we have is the IRS and other people are largely dictating what that is. And until they get in, because how we do it is we do accelerated, right? Uh, depreciation year one. And so that is going, they're line item, meaning individual parts of that asset that will depreciate faster than other parts. Well, until they go through and really do that and really get involved, we don't have a real good idea. We could guess and say, all right, maybe it's 30, 40%, right? But that depends on the age of the asset. That depends on all sorts of stuff. We've had assets that we got 85% depreciation year one on, 
And I was like, I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah. And then we had others that I'm like, oh yeah, we have great depreciation on. And it was lower than 50%. And I was like, what? And so I'm shocked. I know other people are shocked, right? So the, it, it is this range. That is, I think, what you're getting at with the fund. Yes. Why that's a good thing because you may have different types of assets. You may have assets that have different wiring components or things that you can accelerate more. So you may get one that's lower, but you're also going to get one that's higher and you're going to average out and raise up that depreciation as opposed to really not knowing that year one how well it will. Now, what we do, though, is it's not totally blind. We go beforehand and we get estimates done. And so that we have kind of a guiding look at what we think it will be. That is even more complicated, though, with the fund. Because now you're looking at a whole bunch of assets and then trying to understand how they work together. And so I like to think about it, and I think we approach it, is the depreciation um, is very important. I mean, we, we have investors that got almost 100% return year one because of depreciation. It was like crazy. And you're looking at that going, well, you were in this certain tax bracket, different things like that, which we would never even expect, nor guarantee. That's, that's wild. But we didn't know that was going to happen, right? And so when we look at the fund model and how it all works together and what the output and everything is going to be, it's just more complicated. So we say depreciation is important. It's one of the main reasons you invest in here. Here's a range that we expect and that we think is going to happen. But that is kind of a cherry on top, yep. meaning we do not we don't and other people may and syndications actually lend better towards this i think that they invest for depreciation like we saw that you see that a lot in multifamily. like people are just putting their money to get depreciation returns matter very little that's why returns start to get way way down and compressed in apartments lots of capital are chasing them whereas for us in our mode is returns are the most important thing right so the depreciation is the side thing like we expect it, we're gonna work on it, we're gonna get accelerated depreciation year one. The way that we invest actually maximizes depreciation because we don't have catch up and we don't have all these other things that you do when trying to get the high returns, then you lose that benefit of the taxes, right? So we try to get our, our returns really high and depreciation, but not having a recapture. So when the whole picture is said and done, right? You have a much higher overall depreciation plus the return. Now, once again, though, that is predicated on our strategy. So you can see how complicated this already gets. Because if you go with an investor and you say, okay, you're going to get X amount of depreciation, three years later, then they sell it. Well, now you have to make up some of that and you have to pay taxes on some of that. And so now that's going to eat away at your overall return and the realized gains that you got. So there's so much that goes into this. You can see why we're hesitant to really even start to get too much into it. But that's why we do a range because it's very important and it's a huge benefit for our investors. It just is second to returns. Absolutely. So the investor alignment comes into play here. When an investor comes to us and says, I'm looking for the highest tax deduction, I'm going to always respond, well, maybe this isn't the best for you, but let me explain the benefits of this. I feel like and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like our structure almost allows the investors to get off the hamster wheel of chasing depreciation 
because when they're investing with somebody else who sells, the recapture happens now. now they they're trying to. exactly. Yes. So they're constantly chasing that next depreciation. And with our long-term strategy, you get the depreciation, you get the benefits of the equity that you pull out at refinance. Yeah, the capture. And you don't, you know, once again, check with your CPA, but yes. <laughs> uh, we're, we don't have to pay anything on recapture at a refinance event. Yeah, because it's, it's in a refinance. So Bank those loan. returns are coming in the form of a loan, not a sell. So they're not taxed like the sell is. And I think that, what you just mentioned is the perfect example of how a str your strategy needs, will dictate your structure so much. In fact, this is probably one of the hardest things that it's always been for us is people were looking at us and our strategy was so different from other operators and what we were doing and the structure then was accommodating that that there was, it, we just had to explain it in confusion. So when you're starting out and you're trying to explain to an investor the advantages of coming with you, whether and how that applies both in structure, the asset itself, the fund, they all interwork and it has to be really well rounded out. And you need to make sure that if it is, if, if you have investors that may be from a different standpoint, you have an investor that says, hey, I need depreciation. I want you, uh, I want to back you in a storage facility. Okay, well now you know that your target is going to be very heavy on the depreciation need. So I've seen some investors say, I'll do a syndicate or some operators, I'll do a syndication and I'm gonna get better um, terms. I may get like 50-50 split, right? Instead of like a 70-30, but I'm gonna give you all the depreciation. Mm -hmm. So now the sponsor's better off and to the investors better off. And you, so you can see how these, it's so important that your framework and how you construct, whether it's a syndication, whether it's a fund, is gonna be predicated on that investors, what they need, what they want, and if that's a good fit. Because if you don't, you may end up leaving a lot of money on the table for you and the investor. Yeah. So it's, it, it is this puzzle piece, but taxes, as you can see, do, they play a big part into it. And it's important that they understand. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, when it comes down to it, you know, fund models, you're not going to get the financial projections that you're seeking. However, you're going to get the advantage of the opportunities that quickly come down the acquisition pipeline. And uh, you're going to receive diversification and you're going to receive the benefits that you do in, an, in a one-off or a portfolio. And uh, there's nothing wrong with either strategy. Just depends on what you're what you're seeking for as an investor. Um, any final thoughts? Any questions you know, that I think you? One of the things we haven't talked about though is the actual value based on the fund. So if you're doing a fund and you're putting assets that you're buying singly together, they now have portfolio value. So you can sell them at a much higher point. So the actual value of the assets rise by going a fund route, buying them individually and putting them all together. And it's funny, that's something we haven't even talked about with investors or anything else that we really need to. Yeah, because I it's totally a big forgot deal. about that. Yeah, it's a really and big And the benefit deal. of refinancing as a yes, group. Yes, as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, you know, see, this is why we're doing the podcast. I, exactly. right? Like, we got to put that in our in our, our, our OM, right? So exactly. It, we're literally sitting here talking about, like, the looking at it from the investor side, everybody. We just realized, oh, we forgot this. And that's a big piece to the investors. And uh, um, this is why you got to think through these things. And you got to think about the investors, what 
you're sharing, why that strategy will work, um, and communicate it really well so you don't leave off those pieces. So let's dive into that just a little bit yeah. more. Can you explain to our listeners what exactly that means in the refinance strategy of a fund and a portfolio as a collective group versus what you would do for a one-off? Yeah. So buyers and also lenders, they may say, oh, I like these markets. I don't like these markets. I like these types of assets. I don't like these type of assets. So what you're doing when you put them together, you make it way more desirable for buyers um, on two fronts, meaning you're getting the, so the same reason investor wants to invest diversification is the same reason uh, people that are buying it wants to invest. Also, you can operate more efficiently when you get more than one. So now your margins rise because you're operating all the expenses towards one, you now can share amongst other assets. So that means your net income would rise and then the value rises. So people will pay a lower cap rate for a portfolio than they will individual. So just by packaging them up immediately, you increase the value of those assets. So that's the buyer perspective. What about when you take the group to a bank for the refinance event? Don't you get you more do. favorable terms yes. in that aspect too? Yes, you do. Because the banks um, and lenders lots of times will look at the same thing where they're looking at risk because the risk is spread out. They may be able to do things that they wouldn't do, obviously, with one property. Okay, well, we can get better terms. We may get more aggressive on interest rates because you have more revenue that can offset one of the lower or you have this one is more secure than the other one is. And so if this one wasn't a secure revenue or it was some buildup or something was going on, they're like, we're nervous about it. So we're going to give a higher interest rate and we got to protect our downside. You offset those things. So you can, generally speaking, they're more competitive. We get better terms. Um, so it's it's a lot better position to be walking into a bank saying, I've got 100 million of assets as opposed to 5 million. They bite. Bigger players bite. They want to do that. It's um, for them too, operationally speaking, right? We get more for the transaction. So it's it's a huge competitive advantage. Yeah, essentially same as investors, they're diversifying their risk yes. with their loan for us. Exactly. So if the banks are doing it, guys. That's right. So a lot of advantages that you can look at both ways. Um, and you got to figure out your strategy and how, how you go about it. But I think this was a good run through. Um, a really good uh, look at syndicating versus funds. We're pro both because we do both. So right now we've got a fund out and we've got two we're syndicating. Yeah. So I think maybe we talk about why then are we syndicating one and we're doing a fund on another. So, oh, that's a great point. Yeah. So um, when, when you create a fund structure, you have to identify the assets you're going after and you have to stick to those. Yes. So if we find an asset that we still like that maybe doesn't fit the buy box or the, the placing box for the fund, that's when we have to go out and we have to do a one-off in addition to the fund model. Yep. So development doesn't fit into our fund where it's acquisitions of current existing facilities. So that we have to stay within our buy box of the fund, legally speaking, because these are securities, they're filed, uh, uh, filed, and we got to stick by the standards set up in the OM that we're promising investors. So then if we have something that doesn't fit, but we really want to do it like a, a, a development, then we want off that. And really, it's hard to think of why we would, I, I mean, not why we would, but I don't really like developments in the fund model. Yeah, yeah, and and some investors do like it some because it, it do. does offset yeah. that slow that, cash flow, no cash flow. 
But at the same time, you know, you're you're looking at providing diversified options. Do we want to bring down the financial projections? Now, speaking on behalf of right now, we have a blind pool fund. You can do a fund model, too, where you know the assets that you're going after and you can put a development inside of yes. a, another thing. As long as you have already identified that asset and you put it in, you, you yes. pretty much from we're not an attorney. We're not but, attorneys. Uh, not CPAs, I have not heard <laughs> from qualified professionals. You can pretty much do anything that you want yes. to do as long as you disclaim it. As long as you disclaim it and as long as all parties agree to exactly. it. Exactly. So for us and ours, we like to carve it out just because the developments, like keeping that buy box really, really tight, meaning this is exactly what we're doing, that also is a level for investors to be comfortable. Yes. So the blind one, the more open you get, and you say, well, invest in our fund. And they say, well, what are you going to invest in? Well, we're going to invest in, I don't know, whatever good deals come up. <laughs> that makes it a lot harder, right? To, yeah. To You're identify, like, I didn't so. want to invest in bare land. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, but that's a perfect, perfect way to end it here. Uh, Kaylee, as always, thanks for coming on. Been this a was pleasure. a great conversation and uh, so much to think about. And uh, we'll keep you guys updated. Thanks again. Thanks.